Um, I would like to share with you sort of an inside secret about pastors. What we most passionately preach often is what we most desperately need. And I openly admit to you that I need to increase the joy factor of my life. Over the last decade, my own personal journey of faith has gone through some uh, rough wilderness. But what I've been going through is probably not much different than what some of you are going through, whether it be um, outward desperation or silent desperation. And if you're not at that place this morning, where there's a sense of desperation, discouragement, despair, depression, you may want to take notes. Because if you're not today, you may find yourself there in the future. I would really like to address my thoughts this morning to the weak and to the vulnerable. See, that would be me. Um, a few years ago, I uh, remember being unable to sing a particular song or chorus in uh, my church. And uh, it was hard to sing a song when everyone around me was smiling and they were singing these words. When I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, when darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, this was the hardest part of that chorus for me. You give and you take away. You give and you take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Now, I believed those words, and I still do. I believed those words were true, but I couldn't feel them. While my wife was home suffering from terminal cancer, my dad was in an Alzheimer's facility, and my mom was in a home suffering from um, pancreatic cancer. Um, And that's hard to sing that song. After I retired from pastoring, from my local church, I should say, my wife... My father and my mother died within all a short amount of time. And I pretty much felt like my life and my ministry were over. Have you ever come to that place? But since then, I've discovered that when the Lord does take away something, He often gives us back more than you would have expected. And that's been my testimony. He gave me a loving wife. 
he has given me a very joyful ministry to pastors and church leaders in various countries around the world. And he has given me you to belong to and to be able to minister to here at the church. So I want to thank you for the privilege of having a place to belong. And it is my joy to share with you my thoughts this morning about reasons to rejoice. Remember what I said, that's the inside secret. That What you most passionately preach is probably what you most desperately need. So through all of this, I am learning what I think for me is a profound thought and that I want to share that with you this morning. I've discovered that our capacity for joy increases in direct proportion to our desire to glorify God in our trials. I'm going to repeat that. I've discovered that our capacity for joy increases in direct proportion to our desire to glorify God in our trials. Or, in other words, the greater our desire to glorify God in all things, the greater our capacity for joy grows within us. Romans 5, 1 through 11 has been a, a very important place in my life, especially through years of ministry, of struggles in life and, and so forth. And it has helped me to try to focus on the reasons for joy in the midst of the trials and difficulties of life. Because I want to be a joyful person. Our ability to rejoice must be important to God. As I've looked through the scriptures, there are 156 references to rejoice. Most of those are exhortations. For example, we are exhorted to rejoice in God's goodness and his salvation. We are reminded to rejoice in our salvation and the great things that God has done. That's just a few of those 156. Matter of fact, if you read Jesus' teachings, even he taught that those who are persecuted for his namesake are to do what? Rejoice, for great is their reward in heaven. But by far the most frequent reference or exhortation to rejoice is to rejoice in the Lord. The word rejoice will be found in our text three times. And it may be translated in your Bible, glory, boast, exult, or joy. And to rejoice is the expression of our delight in what we believe to be true about God through all kinds of trials and adversity. The word hope that we will see conveys a certain predictable outcome or conviction that is there by faith in the very nature and the promises of God. Hope. Rejoice. Now let's look at our text together. 
And let's read it. Reasons to rejoice. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If you are a note taker, if you're looking at your worship folder, I would encourage you to underline, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And there again, you might circle that or underline it. Knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And then we have the last section. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice. Your third point. Rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. These are the words that have brought me hope and tried to help me remember to rejoice more in the Christian life and what I'm going through. You will look at verses 1 through 2, and you will see our first reason. We rejoice in the hope of glory. The second point we will have is rejoice in the tribulations we have, and we will explain how and why. And then finally, to rejoice in God. So I'm straightforward with you this morning. You don't have to look for the outline. It's in the text. Look for the word rejoice, and you will find what we're talking about. We rejoice for what awaits us. That is the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice for what we go through now because of the character God produces in us going through our trials and tribulations. And then third, we rejoice for who God is. That is this God of grace and glory. Notice in our text that each reason seems to build upon the other until it crescendos into praise for God himself. It's one thing to rejoice in the hope of our glorification in heaven, and I do that often. But it's still another thing to rejoice now in our earthly struggles. But the greatest measure of our faith is finding God to be our ultimate satisfaction. That's 
what we want. Let's explore more closely what that means. We are to rejoice in hope. One of the things that comes to my mind why I see the need for my own uh, joy factor to increase is I don't see Christians, at least here in America, as joyful as they are in other parts of the world. I, I don't know if that's just cultural, but it seems like we have so much, but we are not that much of a joyful people. But we are to rejoice. If there's one characteristic that God wants to see in us, it is to rejoice. We have reasons to rejoice. Let's look at that first reason. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what do we rejoice in? Well, it's the hope. The hope that awaits us. The hope that is ours. And why do we rejoice? Well, that is in our text. If you will find in the book of Romans, especially in this chapter, as well as some of the previous chapters, that one of the great reasons to rejoice for hope, or hope even in eternity, is because we have been, joy- we have been justified. If you've been justified by faith, you have certainty of the hope of eternal life with Christ. We have been justified. What do we rejoice in? Well, we rejoice in the goodness of God. Did you know that God refers to himself in Romans 15 as the God of hope? Those who know the God of hope should be hopeful and we should rejoice. He's revealed himself to us in the human flesh. The eternal son, Jesus Christ, uh, is the visible manifestation of the invisible, infinitely glorious God. And because of him, we rejoice. We can rejoice. We should rejoice in the hope of our future glorification. Not only being saved from the penalty and the power of sin now, but someday we shall be saved from the very presence of all sin. We will not only obtain a glorified body, which I think will be wonderful, but we will also have a perfectly glorified nature. It will have no desire and no capacity for evil. So that whatever we think and whatever we do will be right and encouraged. I think that's going to be great. And the joy of heaven for us will be dwelling forever in the presence of our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the joy. His cross paid our way to glory. His empty tomb promises our way to glory. And the Holy Spirit pledges, guarantees our future glory. And all of this will fulfill God's eternal plan for us that was ordained before the foundation of the world. In Romans 8.30, this is what we hear. For those who he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, what? He also glorified. You see, salvation 
Justification and all of this work that brought us to salvation has an ultimate purpose, and that's our glorification. Our glorification, therefore, is as certain a hope made sure by the sovereignty of God. And the promise of eternal glory far outweighs the pain of our present temporary earthly suffering. The Bible says that actually our afflictions are working towards eternal glory. The hope of heaven should keep us rejoicing. There Christ will personally, intimately, show us the immeasurable riches of his grace for which we will be overwhelmed with gratitude. We will be, in essence, the objects of grace and all shall rejoice. We can only begin now to imagine the glories of heaven. But someday our faith will give way to sight when we see Christ. That's why people sing. They sing about heaven. They sing about the glories of heaven. There's a, an old hymn that I remember going way back. Even as a boy, when I heard it, the, the hymn, the chorus especially, is when we see Christ. When we see Christ. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So gladly run the race till we see Christ. I've had to sing that song a number of times. And why do we rejoice? Again, begins with our justification. This means that we've been declared legally innocent now and forever before a just and holy God of all of our sin. That would include the past, the present, and the future sins. They are forgiven by grace alone in Christ alone. Through faith alone, he not only perfectly kept the law for us, but he also fully paid the awful price for our sin by becoming our substitutionary sacrifice. He paid the horrible punishment and death that we deserve. Therefore, we're no longer condemnable. We even read about that this morning. Second, we rejoice because we have peace with God. We who were once at enmity with God were like a troubled, restless sea that kept casting up our ugly mire and dirt from the depths of our being upon the shore. However, he has stilled our restless, wicked souls to find refuge in him. Christ is our peace. So because of Christ, God is forever at peace with us. That's a reason to rejoice. And for this, we need to remember and rejoice. 
Third, we need to rejoice because we have free access, says Paul, to God. We who were once far off and separated from God have now been drawn near to him by Christ. The veil that once protected sinners from God's holy presence in the temple in Jerusalem was torn from the top to the bottom at the time that Christ died on the cross so that sinners now may know that they can freely enter into God's glorious presence to enjoy fellowship with him. That's reason to rejoice. The Lord even urges us to come boldly to his throne to obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. That's God beckoning us. Those who have taken refuge in God's promise of glory are exhorted in Hebrews uh, six seventeen. It says, hold fast to the hope set before you. In a day like our own, with all the news and stuff swirling around us, shrouded in moral darkness, danger, and uncertainty, we need to sort of tie a knot of faith at the end of the rope and just not let go. We need to have our hope firm, held fast to. There's another reason why we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice in tribulation. See, the first one, I think we all kind of get excited about. I do. You know, when you're going through difficult times, I'm going, yeah, I just can't wait till I get to heaven. Can't wait to see the people that have gone before me. Can't wait to see Christ. Can't wait to get rid of all this uh, corruption that identifies me. But it is another thing to rejoice in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your trials. So what does he mean by that? We rejoice in tribulation. When should we rejoice? Are you sure, Paul, that we've read you correctly? He said that you are to rejoice in tribulation. The word that is used here, tribulation, found in the Latin and then comes into our English language, tribulum. And what does that tribulum mean? It is a word that is borrowed from a piece of harvest equipment that, had, um, that resembled a heavy log or timber that had long spikes on it. And this tribulum was used to separate the kernel from the chaff as it rolled over the, uh, the wheat and the, the kernels that were there in it. Jesus used this word as well when he said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Many times... My tribulation feels like being thrashed. The word tribulation could be a thrasher. So when we are in tribulation, we feel thrashed, we, press, we feel pressed down and beaten. And today this word tribulation could also be translated the pressures that bear down upon us. Do you ever feel pressures? 
that are related to your personal life, family life, pressures in the world? Well, that's what Paul's talking about. In these tribulations, in these pressures, in these things that are bearing down, are thrashing you, rejoice. Wow. Well, why, Paul? Why do we rejoice? I mean, how could we find a reason to rejoice in those? Well, first of all, he tells us that God uses tribulation to produce perseverance. These pressures are producing for us a capacity to endure up under more pressure. That's what it does. It produces what is also described as patience or perseverance. Sometimes the word is interchangeable there. That is the capacity to endure up or bear up under pressure. And the greater the pressure we endure, God works to produce an even greater capacity to persevere. So you follow what I'm saying? Is that God uses the pressures on us to give us a capacity to stand up under even more pressure. That is one of the things he does and wants to do in us. He uses the pressure of this world to conform us into the very likeness of Christ. And the greater our capacity to persevere under pressure, the greater our capacity not only to endure more pressure, it's to produce in us even a greater capacity for joy. More pressure, what? More endurance? And more endurance, joy. I, I think that's what James 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 2 and 4 is saying. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. Depend on that. Make a, an active decision. A choice. Count it all joy. Put joy on the ledger of your understanding. That when you inevitably will fall into various trials, knowing that with certain confidence that the testing of your faith produces patience. There we go. Perseverance. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete or mature, lacking nothing. The process goes on. God compassionately comforts us in our tribulations so we will be able to comfort others in their day of pressure. That's what the Apostle Paul learned and he shared with the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Let me read that to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now here's what we're looking for. Who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with we ourselves are comforted by God. What I'm going through is to learn endurance so that I can help those who are going through their difficulties to comfort them in their trial. That's what God has in mind. And we should rejoice that he has purpose for what we're going through. Now let's think about what Paul is actually saying to us. When we are under extreme pressure... In adversity, you feel thrashed and beaten upon. Remember, we can rejoice knowing 
that God is at work in us to produce patience, perseverance, a greater capacity to endure up under even more pressure so that we can ultimately comfort others in their day of adversity. Um, As a pastor for many years, I've had many people respond to my preaching when I've talked about patience. And uh, I don't know if you've come across people like this, but I did uh, in my ministry, not just uh, once or twice, but a number of people who have said this to me. They've said to me, "Um, Pastor, when you talk about patience, now you know, you know, don't you, that if you pray for patience, he's going to give you problems. So don't pray for patience. I want to be out front with you. I feel sad for those folks. They don't understand God's providence in using the pressures that do come into our life. It's kind of like they have a super spiritual insight to this thing that, Pastor, you know, there are just certain things we don't want to pray for. Listen, if there's anything you need to pray for, like me, is patience. You're going to find, you're going to have enough troubles as they are. You don't need to pray for troubles. They're coming our way. But we want to develop patience in our lives. God uses that. He wants that to characterize us. By the way, if you look it up, I think one of the fruit of the Spirit is the capacity to endure, perseverance. So it isn't just in crisis, but the Holy Spirit gives us that ability. Our capacity to remain under pressure glorifies God. The more pressure you take and you can rejoice, the more that glorifies Him. And it works for our good and his glory. Though I don't always feel it, and I don't know how he's going to do it. Second, we can rejoice knowing that God uses tribulation to produce proven character. Well, once you've learned to bear up under pressure, you have now the record, the experience, that if I persevered under this by faith, if he gives me more, he's going to give me the power to endure even more. You'll have now proven character. It's the result of learning to rejoice in our trials because we believe God has good reasons for all that he allows into our life. The more his grace sustains us, the more and more faith we will have that he is standing with us in this and that he's working everything together for his glory and our good. Uh, I could find a number of examples, illustrations. Let me give you one from the scriptures. Paul had a a dear friend, a young man by the name of Timothy, who was a great example of proven character. Paul writes in uh, in Philippians 2.22 to the church there. He says, now he says, now you know Timothy. You know his proven character that as a son with his father, he faithfully served with me in the gospel. And what that means is that the more Timothy endured the pressure and the persecution of preaching the gospel, the greater he grew in character. Character is formed under pressure. And that character gives us confidence. It gives us, well, very interesting. What else does it give us? Hope. When you can persevere, then you have proven record and experience of God's faithfulness that his character has been proven. In our need. 
And then we have reason for hope. Not just the hope of heaven, but the hope that even if more pressure comes my way, he will be there. He'll provide exactly what was needed. Now, these truths that we're talking about that Paul writes, they're just not super spiritual, uh, pious platitudes. My friends, these come out of his own life experience. This is his testimony. His ministry was filled with tribulation. He was imprisoned, scourged, beaten, shipwrecked, robbed, hungered, thirsted, was cold and naked, as well as sleepless nights out of concern for churches he loved. And through all of this, what? He rejoiced. He wrote to the church at Philippi, where he had once been stoned almost to death. He urged them to join him, to rejoice with him in his tribulations. He reported, Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. I rejoice that if I'm being poured out for your benefit, praise God. Then he says, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's saying, rejoice if what, my, what I'm going through is a blessing for you and for the church. But join me as well. Rejoice in what you're going through. It is my firm conviction that only faith in Christ can give us a reason to rejoice in tribulations like this. Um, we stand aside to say something from my own personal life. Lately, I've been on a sort of silent personal campaign to rejoice more in the midst of the pressures of life. And I've needed to put a song in my heart. And this is one of the songs I recently sang in a dark, cold lonely room in China last November. I was so depleted and so depressed. I was discouraged. It was cold. I, I just felt alone. It's like I was being thrashed. <laughs> I wondered, uh, God, how are you using this? I just was just plain exhausted after two weeks of ministry. And I began to sing in the dark And I'm not going to sing for you now. Pastor Bill can sing, but I'm not going to try singing. I sang these words in the dark. I looked them up, had them written out for me, and I sang, Rejoice! The Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Mortals give thanks and sing triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say. Rejoice. Jesus, the Savior, reigns. The God of truth and love. When he poured out or purged our sins, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say, rejoice. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules over earth and heaven. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice. And again, I say, Rejoice. I sense the presence of Christ with me in just being able to utter those words. 
It put an affirmation in my heart that I had reason for to rejoice. And this leads to our final thought. We rejoice in God himself. Do you know how we got to this one? Remember where we came from? We rejoice in the hope of heaven. That's a pretty good one, and it's a pretty easy one. Because if you're feeling tribulation today, and you, you're not caught up in, in the depending on the world to satisfy you, and you're looking to Christ in heaven, it's easy to rejoice in the hope of heaven. Yeah. But it is very difficult to rejoice in your trials. Very difficult. I want to make a quick distinction here. When we're exhorted to rejoice in our trials, Paul is not saying, I need to rejoice that I'm in pain. He didn't say, I'm to rejoice that uh, there is death in my family. He didn't say that I am to rejoice that the doctor says that he's diagnosed cancer. But he said, you're to rejoice in knowing and counting on that God uses that for his glory and our good. And it will produce perseverance, proven character, and it will increase your hope. So, no, I didn't rejoice that my loved ones passed away. I knew they had the hope. There's a sense in which I rejoiced. But I felt the loss of them. But I knew where they were going so I could rejoice. And the trials that I have, and you all have, they're painful. They're, they're not easy to go through. If you lose your job, if you don't have the resources, if you have people of fighting against you at work, if you are being persecuted for Christ's sake, what did Jesus say? You're blessed. Rejoice, for your reward is great in heaven. But here's why. The final is, for all of that, we need to rejoice in God himself. That is the ultimate reason for rejoice. And that is to find him to be your all and all ultimate satisfaction. That is what I want. The reason we rejoice is our delight in knowing God. This is that highest and greatest reason for joy. God has justified us, uh, giving us um, giving us a uh, a new status, a new, uh, a new uh, uh, position in Christ. He's given us hope in his glory and comforts us in our tribulation, and that's why we can rejoice. Notice how many times the scriptures, and especially Paul, exhorts us to rejoice. In Philippians 4, he's, 4 he says, Rejoice in the Lord whenever you feel like it. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And then again I say, Rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. This motivation for rejoicing comes from a certain hope in God's glory and a growing confidence in God's sovereignty. Why do we rejoice? We rejoice in God himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. If you've come to meet Christ as your Savior, you have reason to rejoice. Just rejoice in who he is. 
to get to know God through knowing Christ. Paul reminds us that God has poured out his love upon us. He's lavished us. We have reason to rejoice because our hope, if you put your hope in Christ, it will not disappoint. He will not disappoint you. You may be disappointed for expectations or things you put upon God, but I am here to tell you that if you place your hope in him, he will not disappoint. We have reason to rejoice because he just keeps pouring out, not just once, but for ever pouring out his love upon us. He even put his Holy Spirit in us to give us joy and and give us love so that we can enjoy fellowship with God. God does not love us because we are so lovable. He first loved us so that we could enjoy future love relationship with him now and forevermore. The scripture says here too that Paul tells us that Christ died for us when we were without strength, no human capacity to come to Christ. He was crucified in weakness for those who were weakened by sin. He died for the weak and the poor, not the strong and the self-sufficient. And those who admit their weakness shall find his strength in grace. They shall live by the power of Christ in them so they can persevere. So they will gain character and so they have hope. Christ also died for us when we were ungodly and sinners. Christ shed his blood to justify us and to save us, he says, from the wrath of God. Let me, friends, I don't know, you know how you put doctrines together, but right there you have reason to rejoice. Look what he did for us. Look at our status, our position. Look at the promise of what's ahead. Well, he not only died for us, but now he lives within us. He lived the life perfectly for us, and now he puts his spirit in us to live that life through us. And he is patient. He's patient with me. Even though I'm impatient with the measure of my spiritual growth. Do you ever kind of feel like, hey, Don, why don't you get it together here, dude? Like, are you serious you can't say no to that? Are you serious that you're thinking that? Why would you ever think that? And the answer to that is because you're a wretch. (laughs) And Christ saved you from the penalty of that. And he is patiently working through you to produce purity, to produce through you character. So you have hope. There was nothing in us that deserved God's love and grace. We only deserved what? His wrath, justly. And Jesus gave a warning about this in John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. That's a very solemn thought. But God saved us. He reconciled us. 
so that we can personally and intimately have fellowship with him. Here's an inside secret to God. I told you about pastors. Here's an insight from from the scriptures about God for us. He loves you. He loves you so much. Not only did he give his son to die for you and his spirit, but he can't wait. He is. He's patient until we're home. This is what this is all about. That's what earth, this is what's all we're going through now because it's leading to a great and glorious day. We're just going through these days. But when these days are over through death or Christ's return, my friends, all that he's planned, all he's ordained will come to pass. All of his purposes would have been fulfilled is to get us home so that we can be with Christ forever. He wants fellowship with us when I struggle to find five minutes with him. What an incredible God is this. The ultimate reason to rejoice is that he made it possible that we could have intimate personal fellowship with God. Do you rejoice in who God is? There it is. If you're there, you can endure pressure. Came across some, a writing that I, I found just said exactly pretty much what I'd like to say. Here's what the poem says. My goal is God himself. Not my joy, not even blessing, but God himself. It is his part to lead me at any cost, by any road. So faith bounds forward to its goal, upheld by him. No matter if the way seems, sometimes seems dark or the cost be sometimes great, He knows how and best to reach the mark. The way that leads to him must be straight. My goal is God himself. When Paul realized the greatness of God's love poured out upon him, he could endure the most incredible tribulations. Reasons to rejoice? Rejoice for the hope of glory in Christ, our glorification. Rejoice in tribulation, knowing that God works all these things together to produce the capacity to persevere for his glory and then to give us proven character so that you have hope in the midst of your trials. But ultimately, where you learn to rejoice in just how great and glorious and gracious is God, it turns us back to him. Can you sing that song? Don't sing it. I mean, can you agree with these words? Because if I ask you to sing it, I might have to lead it, and we'd be in a world of hurt. We'd be in a room of uh, tribulation. Listen to the words again. Can you sing this song? When I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, 
Blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, when darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and you take away. You give and you take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Now, before you answer the question, can you sing that song? Let me say, if you believe what we have learned this morning, what you believe to be true about God will be tested in adversity. <laughs> Count on it. But you can rejoice. We should rejoice for the hope, even in tribulation, because of who God is. If you've had a hard time agreeing with those words or not feeling them as I did, maybe you would like to pray with me as I close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I rejoice in the hope of your glory. I ask you to give me faith to rejoice in my tribulations, knowing you work all things together for my good and your glory. I pray to know Christ, not just as my Savior, but also as my friend. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Live in me that I might live for you. Amen.